to more to come. Publishers Weekly's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news. I'm Heidi McDonald, the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. Uh, you could check us out on all social media at, at PW Comics World on Twitter, on Tumblr, also Publishers Weekly slash comics for all of our great coverage. And finally, if you like this podcast, drop us a line. Let us know. We need love, like everyone. Well, thank you for tuning in. Today, I am here with Ben Coleman. Hey, Ben, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. Um, so Ben is the uh, co-author of The Long Con, uh, the graphic novel collection. The first graphic novel collection is coming out next month from Oni Press, I believe, right? And, uh, yeah. And uh, you also are written other comics, are a journalist. Uh, you do some interesting things there in Portland. So, um, yeah, let's get right to it. So, um, if your listener to to this podcast, you know that I am fascinated by convention fiction. <laughs> Stories set at Comic-Cons. <laughs> sure. And the long con is one of the most audacious uh, concepts yet. Yeah, can you tell us what the book is about? Yeah, so um, the book is basically uh, at a, a fictional sort of pop culture Comic-Con type thing. Uh, we, we decided to go with the La Spinoza as a sort of our fictional, you know, Southern California right. uh, convention town. Um, and uh, it, it follows uh, sort of a, a, a journalist for an alt-weekly who's not really into the scene, but he's been assigned to cover this convention. And uh, he's got a, a friend. His friend is a nerdy comics publicist who's showing him the ropes and then uh, the world ends while he's in the middle of it. <laughs> Which uh, it's my my co uh, co writer uh, Dylan McConus uh, came up with this idea. She's a long like a veteran of uh, of many cons, including SDCC. And her sort of thought was there's like a feeling you have about midway through like the first day of a very long convention, and your thought is like, what if this just never ends? Right. Uh, and that's the feeling this book is trying to capture. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's a great, it's a great concept uh, for that. And Dylan is indeed correct, especially uh, if you've been going to San Diego for so long as I have, and other cons, and uh, it it does become its own world. Yeah. Are, now, are you a con veteran? Are you, you know, what's your con experience? Uh, not as much as Dylan, uh, and definitely, I think we we knew we had a good premise for a book is when we would tell people and. They would get this sort of thousand yard <laughs> stare, uh, which is, I think, a good sign for any pitch. Um, but yeah, I, uh, have not been to as many as Dylan has. Um, I've, I go to the one in Portland, uh, and I have done for many years and the one in Seattle, um, and then some other sort of random, you know, anime pop up things, uh, as not necessarily as uh, an enthusiast, but as a, a tabler for friends doing various, uh, sort of creative enterprises. Um, so I've definitely had my toe in the waters, but I did not like grow up in the trenches as some people have. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I know. I think Dylan started when she was a teenager. So oh, yeah. yeah, so she's you know grown. She's to the manner born, as am I. Just about. Um, well, it, the story is is uh, like so. So Victor lies is uh, is this journalist who. You know, is at the con when uh, the apocalypse hits, but then he manages to escape, and then after five yeah. years, he returns to the convention center and finds something pretty incredible. 
Yeah, and the idea is basically that people just, you know, when they don't have to go home, they just keep doing the convention. <laughs> uh, which I, I, and I think, again, a part of our premise is that some people, that would not be like a, a dystopian scenario. That would be great. <laughs> they would be, they would be living their best lives. Uh, but for a lot of people, they would be like, no, I want to eat a vegetable. I want to, you know, see my family. Um, and our decision to, uh, we, we bounced around a lot of ideas about what the timeline was going to be. Um, we were like, well, is it a hundred years in the future? And it's their descendants of now legends of like, you know, the big two comics and everything. Um, or, you know, is it one year? Is it six? Like how, what's the time frame? And I think we decided on five years because five years is a good period of time for stuff to have happened that you can allude to, but also you don't have to draw people as old. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of look right, the same. Right, right. Um, but they, you can say, oh, well, that happened in year three or that happened in year two. Like five years is a good sort of round number for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, so that, you know, he reunites with his, uh, his, his friend Des, uh, who's now, I guess she's living in a, at a convention exhibit booth or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we definitely wanted uh, to have that sort of insider-outsider dynamic. Um, so basically, Victor is the sort of fish-out-of-water observer, you know. He's also the sort of the voice of reason a lot of times, where it's like, you need to stop killing each other over a TV show. And they're like, why? It's the right TV show. <laughs> uh, well, well, yeah, that's the most interesting thing about about the society that's sprung up inside the convention center is that I guess this was the 50th anniversary uh, for the long con and it was a spotlight on a particular TV show, right? Uh, Skylark? Yeah, right? well, I think our, uh, as with most convention sort of histories, it's a little muddy. Mm-hmm. Um, but our sort of original <laughs> idea was that it was originally a Skylark's convention, Sort of like, you know, SDCC was a comics convention mm-hmm. that is now just everything. It right, is now right, all-encompassing. Right. Uh, but, yeah, they've been doing this for 50 years, and uh, they uh, this Skylark's sort of uh, TV show, movie, video game, sort of omni-media franchise is sort of our sort – of, it's sort of every sci-fi show we grew up with sort of mashed together. Right. Um, it, it's not just Star Trek, although Star Trek conventions are so ubiquitous, that sort of is a good sort of visual language to go with. Right, right, which is which is another, you know, I think maybe, uh, I think Star Trek conventions were probably the first kind of fan events that that really broke through the uh, public consciousness, you know. Obviously, there's the famous uh, William Shatner sketch on Saturday Night yeah. Live, and then Galaxy Quest, of, of course, you know, another yes. classic of convention. <laughs> Galaxy Quest is a huge influence. Um, And I think because also it's a very affectionate satire. So they did a good job with, like, the core Galaxy Quest show. Like, I think we all would have watched that show, um, which is what we kind of aspire to with Skylarks, is that, yes, it has sort of created this, uh, uh, you know, fascist, dystopian, you know, uh, convention culture, but it's not a bad show. It's just sort of people are sort of taking it out of hand. Right, right, right. Which does seem to be, you know, uh, a, a common a common thread in a lot of this stuff. Um, well, as so this collects, I think the first four issues of the Long Con, correct? Uh, five. Oh, the first Old five. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and uh, but the comic is still running as as a semi as a bi monthly or a monthly comic. Um, it's been monthly-ish. Okay. Um, I didn't, uh, I didn't mean to, no leading question there, so. <laughs> yeah. 
No, no, and it, it hasn't been. It, we've we've been. We definitely uh, we have a bunch of issues in the can. Mm-hmm. So it's not that we're that we're. Uh, it's various uh, vagaries of uh, the publishing system. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, we have. Uh, we we pitched it as a ten issue sort of mini. Um, they're collecting the first five, and then the second five will be out uh, in the next year. Right. So I should mention the rest of the creative team. Um, you know, Dylan McConnus, uh famed for her family man webcomic, um, and uh, is the co-writer and co-creator. And it's drawn by E.A. Denich, um, colored by Victoria Robato, and lettered by Aditya Bidikar. I hope I said their names correctly, and published by Oni. Um, well, let's talk, though, let's backtrack a little bit. I mean, how did you, now you live in Portland, Oregon, right? Yes. Or Comics Town, as we like to call it yeah. sometimes. Um, yeah, it's it, that way. Yeah, right? It really is. Uh, but your uh, main vocation is as a journalist, correct? Uh, yeah. So how did you uh, get dragooned into the wonderful world of comics? Well, uh, Dylan asked me. Uh, I've been in the scene for a while. Um, I've covered it. I've, you know, just been a fan in general. Uh, and I've done a lot of sort of adjacent writing. Uh, but this actually is my first comic. Ah. Uh, I guess I would say, like, published. I've had some other projects that didn't go anywhere, as is the nature of things. Um, yeah, I uh, I mostly do movie reviews um, for an all-weekly here called The Portland Mercury. Um, as well as sort of other sort of pop culture features, uh, I've written about like escape rooms, uh, movie rental stores, any sort of thing that, uh, that sort of appeals to, uh, my interest anyway, and hopefully other people's interest as well. Right. Uh, but that's given me sort of a pretty broad, um, uh, experience, uh, with these sort of, I'd say n- niche in a good way, uh, of sort of like, uh, geeky cultural sort of um, enclaves. Right, right. Well, I, you know, as someone who, when I when I started, I've been around so long, uh, as has my co-host, Calvin Reed, uh, we've been around so long that, you know, when we started, you really couldn't talk about this stuff publicly without being mocked and, and shamed. And, uh, you know, now it really is is so incredible how prevalent it is and in fact you almost get sick of it somehow <laughs> you know can't i have my little private thing again <laughs> yeah yeah i definitely when i was in high school i think one of the reasons i didn't really go to conventions is like you can't be seen with all those people i mean like i had those interests myself but i was like that's you, you keep that at home um but yeah it's definitely exploded um and I, I think the first convention I went to, I was out of, I think it was maybe in college, towards the end, and they were, it was at, it was at, uh, PSU, the school I went to. Um, and I just walked in and I was like, oh, these people all seem cool. Uh, I was very surprised. <laughs> it's sort of the, like the discovery, the anthropological discoveries that, uh, you know, uh, Victor goes through and, and, uh, the long con a little bit. Um, now, did you want to write comics as well, or is this just sort of a little sidelight that, you know, arose? Um, you know, I've, yeah, I have, I would just like to say that uh, Victor was not a self-insert character, at least not. <laughs> uh, he, um, Dylan actually presented the idea of doing, having a journalist, I think because she liked the idea, uh, A, I think she's had to struggle with a lot of bad comics uh, journalism over the years, mm. uh, and so it was sort of a, uh, a therapeutic, you know, for that zip-pow, comics are not for kids kind of um right. A writer, um, but it actually it has been. I think uh, being an all weekly journalist, you definitely have the feeling of. Well, I, I haven't been studying this for six months. I've been studying this for like half an hour on the way here. What do you got for me? Mm-hmm, right. Uh, 
that sort of uh, ob- observer that's sort of, you know, game, but not necessarily uh, encyclopedic in their understanding of the scene. Right, right. Well, we all think we could fake it, too. Yeah, yes. And as a journalist... Just something, uh, as I've gotten older, I've realized all the times I thought I was faking it, people were sort of humoring me. Uh, yeah, but... exactly. Oh, I learned that as well. And I learned things you couldn't fake. Uh, actually, I mean, comics folk, we always can tell... When people are faking it, also, and I guess we kind of humor them, though. If there is a lot of esoteric knowledge and you know yeah. lore, <laughs> legend, in our uh, field. and I will say, yeah, I will say, I definitely had a very good. Um, I had a lot of friends who were comic writers. Um, I think I've always liked you know writers in general, um, and they always uh, gave me a lot of good advice. Um, just sort of you know. Just casual conversation, but like, you know, credit your colorist and your letters. Uh, don't draw giant crowd scenes over and over and over again. <laughs> um, this book is maybe not the best example of that, but we try to at least, you know, spread them out so they're not all condensed into one uh, issue. Right, right. Um, well, how did you get uh, hooked up with your artist, E.A. Dunnage? Um, I, I believe, uh, well, oh, I think uh, Dylan uh, discovered her on a secret um comics artist uh email chain or something to that effect that I am not a part of. Mm. Uh but uh yeah, I think they were uh, her book uh Yes Roya um had just come out um and uh she'd done some work for a friend of ours Erica Moen and uh she seemed like a up and comer. She has a great um she has a great sense of physicality in her work, yes. which is something we were looking for because and also her level of detail, one of the things we were looking for is we needed to show, like, the cosplayer version, the TV show version, and, like, the the in-between version of the same costume, which is something that you need to have a good eye for, like, fabrics to, like, really sort of carry across. Otherwise, it just looks like the same person. Right, right, um, right. And she is an absolute master of that, which has made the comic so much easier to write. Yeah, honestly. yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it does, it, it jumps forward in time. Um, and it jumps, it also, you know, goes into the mythical, you know, the fictional history of this fictional TV show. And, uh, which by the way, I've noticed is a, um, is a, a you know, a, a thing that happens quite a bit in convention fiction for some reason. I think because con fiction usually creates these imaginary, imaginary worlds. Yes. <laughs> so they're always, well, dig- I'm, oh, go on. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, well, I'm just a huge fan of, like, the episode of, like, CSI or Law and Order, uh, where there's a murder at a comic convention. Right. And so right, for right. one episode, the detectives have to be like, what? Uh, how, man? What's his deal? And it's like, oh, well, he has the powers of Batman, but the backstory of Superman. Right. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. Uh, which is true. It's, uh, there have been. Yeah, that, that's another little, uh, you know, hobby of mine also is these TV shows set at Comic Cons. Um, I, I guess I'm fascinated by the fictional, fictional worlds of all that stuff. Um, I should mention Yes Roya was uh, uh, written and published by uh, Spike Trotman, who's mentioned on this podcast pretty much every week. So we don't want a week to go by without mentioning Spike. Um, and you know, you mentioned Erica, who uh, is a is a friend of mine. I mean, it is a, a small clubby world. So uh, you must know some of the guys that. Um, well, I want to say Heliotrope, but I know they changed... Uh, Helioscope. The, yes, Helioscope. There you go. I know they yeah. changed the name, but, you know, that whole crew of artists, the studio, all that. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. That has been an enormous resource for us, um, and for me in particular, because I didn't go to school for this. Right. Um, I went to school for, you know, liberal arts, so a general sort of, like, I can put a period on the end of a sentence. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, that sort of that institutional knowledge, um, that sort of um, and clubby in, can be in a good way and a bad way. Uh, Helioscope is very welcoming; they're warm, um, but they're also they will sort of call you out if you're um, you know if you're just being if you have bad habits um, <laughs> bad, or bad creative habits, especially. Um, which I think is is honestly you know that's what a lot of people get in school is. A, a place where people can be like you, you know, uh, you need to credit people in a certain way. You need to uh, structure your stories in a certain way so that it's respectful for people down the creative chain. And that's you know, if you don't have that in a school setting, it's good to have that in a, a different setting. Right, right. So, what was what was the biggest thing you had to learn? You know, going from writing mostly nonfiction prose to comics. Um, well, and I, I should also say another uh, of my weird career sort of uh, 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 cul-de-sacs, there we go, uh, is I spent a lot of time writing sketch comedy for the radio, ah. uh, which I would say is probably the exact opposite of writing a comic book. Um, but uh, writing, I say, in a humorous context, writing comedy for a comic, uh, timing, um, and, and not having timing, having the timing have to come entirely from the art. Um, or the, the the sort of cadence of a sentence uh, is a, a very interesting challenge um, that I have had a lot of fun with. Oh, um, interesting panels, panel structures. Um, I think sort of the order in which people talk is not something you think about when you're writing for the radio. You think about one person talks, then one person, then the other person talks, then the other person talks, and the other person talks, so that you know you have the back and forth. And in a comic, you can do that, but you you know you ha- you have to remember where people are when they're starting sentences, so that the the panel balloons aren't in a weird place, or so that the artist doesn't have to like put someone on the left, or then on the right, or then on the left again. Um, all of those things are things that I would not have thought about when I was reading a book, but then having to write one, it's like, oh yeah, no, that's uh, that's a lot. Right, right, yeah. Well, it is. There's all these little storytelling tropes. Uh, or you know techniques that are definitely not intuitive, and yeah. uh, it's funny you mentioned uh, the helioscope guys being uh, and uh, per- people. Pardon me. There's it's very mixed. Um, kind of being uh, you know schooling you a little bit because there are so many great people there, like Steve Lieber, and and you know who's mm-hmm. always on Twitter posting like these great. Um, you know, lessons and everything. So I, they are they are a little bit like the the Green Lanterns of comics. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, it, it not it, like they're not like you know going around lecturing you on like you know your your panel composition or anything. But you know, just generally, the ambiance is very. Um, I would I would compare it to like uh, like a, a a Greek forum where it's like <laughs> you can come in, you can chat, you can drink some wine. Well, you probably shouldn't drink wine, but you could, mm-hmm. uh, and then chat about you know the the art of the day or. You know, I've got a problem. You know, I can't figure out how to fix this thing. And then they will sort of help each other solve problems. And in them helping each other solve problems, you know, it's an open floor plan office. You can get all of that for free. Right, right. Okay. Oh, um, Sorry, um, that was my. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. It's true. Um, but I, I mean, I also guess I have to ask you, how did you get into writing radio sketch comedy? Um, as with many things in Portland, I, I just I, I knew somebody who liked my Twitter account. Um, well, it was that the the host of the show, like my Twitter account, uh, Courtney Hammeister. Um, and I think it was at a comic signing, uh, for uh, a friend of ours that she we were in line, I think, for the uh, to get our book signed, and she was like, you know, you're funny, you should write for the show sometime. Uh, I think 
not assuming that I would actually follow up on that. Um, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, sure, happy to. Um, which again was also very, I would say, instructive in the sense that you, uh, you, you don't, people say that comics have sort of an infinite canvas, um, to, to write. You can say, oh, the spaceship is in, you know, the second page and you don't have to build the spaceship, but somebody does have to draw the spaceship. Right. Uh, in radio, you can have people anywhere doing anything, but they do have to casually mention that they're doing it in such a way that the audience knows what's going on. Uh, so it was definitely a, in, in both cases, it's been a, uh, 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 an interesting set of challenges to overcome. Right, right. Yeah. It's interesting because I'm, despite the fact that I do a podcast, uh, I'm not necessarily an audio learner and, um, you know, things like, well, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy started as a, as a radio show, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and also said one of my all-time favorite TV shows, the Matt Mitchell and Webb look. Um, oh, yeah. Mitchell yeah. and Webb are great. Yeah, I know. They're so great. I've never listened to their radio show, though, although I quote the, the TV show um, ad infinitum. But, um, but I mean, obviously now with, with podcasting and with the Internet, I mean, you know, all of these radio arts that people thought were lost are actually bigger than ever. Uh, yeah, and the, I think uh, the U.K. has a tradition of uh, getting people started in radio – uh, and just, you know, try out their chops and then giving them TV shows. Um, which I think is, again, I feel like any, writing any medium, um, was going to have its constraints, but some mediums have sort of a higher, um, sort of curve for the sort of things you need to overcome on a regular basis. And I think radio uh, sort of, it, it's like training your muscles. Radio trains certain muscles in a really good way, um, that I, that I think just sort of reinforce uh, some good storytelling techniques. Bad storytelling techniques in the sense that you're sort of constantly worried about people not being able to see what you're doing, um, which in comics is less of an issue. Mm-hmm. But. Right. So you have to do a lot of exposition in the dialogue, obviously, which in some other mediums is a total no-no. Right. And I do, But I do think uh, just sketch comedy in general, uh, for me anyway, uh, the biggest lesson uh, we had uh, Bill Oakley, uh, who's one of the Simpsons uh, writers and, and producers come in to sort of consult. Uh, and his advice, which I think was great, was like, you need to tell people what they're getting and then let them, and then get out. And basically let them know what's happening. And then, like, don't, you don't worry about trying to, like, clue them in. Just tell them, like, oh, these, these are two guys at a gas station and one of them, you know, is a Martian. Don't let them figure out, like, three-fourths of the way through the sketch that one of them is a Martian. Right. Uh, they'll, right. you know, it's good. To, it's good to give them the tools they need to get the joke. Don't withhold the joke from them. Right. Right. Uh, right. Which I think it's a generally a good habit. I feel like a lot of uh, comedy that I like uh, presents a, an interesting situation with characters that you know, and then you know stuff happens within that context. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I guess one of my favorite Mitchell and Webb uh, sketches is their end of the world sketch. Oh yes, that was, and that honestly, like that is such a great format for a sketch because it's like they just constantly mention all these awful things that have happened without really getting into the details of like what caused them or why. But like you know, like it's a post-apocalyptic society and the event was bad. Right, right, right. But I mean, the point of the whole sketch was that 
uh, while the world was ending, they were just going to ask people to use all their, like, you know, corny social media interaction to be, you know, interactive. Because so obviously it came out when, uh, you know, old media was switching to becoming more interactive. And, you know, let us know. Send us a, you know, oh. send us a text. <laughs> text us. Oh, a- I was thinking of um, the, the game show. They have the post-apocalyptic game show. Oh, what number wearing? Oh, no, 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 that was a different oh, right, right, right. Yes, yes, the post. Yes, the post. Yeah. That's right. Yes, that's another one. You're, you're absolutely right. That's a yeah. They, they, they. The end of the world is a is a rife is rife for comedy with the yeah. with the you know it's so many different applications, including the long con. Well, there's something else that you do that um, again, Portland being a tiny town, um, you probably know my friends Paul Guinan and Anina Bennett. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, and this is something they told me about with great excitement, and um, I know that it was something that was so exciting for them, uh, which was Trek in the Park. Yes, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, that actually is another way that I met a lot of people, um, is that it was sort of, uh, it's over now, but it was for, for five years, um, some friends of mine would go and do... Um, Episodes of original series Star Trek, uh, in, in the park. Sort of like Shakespeare <laughs> in the park. Um, and they, uh, I sort of met them all on year three and they invited me in, or year two? I did, I did three years. Um, and uh, I met, uh, Paul and Anana, uh, and a lot of the, uh, Heliosco people, uh, through them. And, uh, yeah, it was great. It was, uh, it was loads of fun. It, it got very big towards the end. Um, like thousands of people were showing up. Uh, to watch us sort of in space pajamas run around on stage. So did you, uh, I mean, did you adapt each episode or did you improv or how did you, what was the format? Uh, well, so the director, uh, Adam Roscoe and Amy Roscoe, um, the producer, it was their idea. And I think they were watching an episode of, of Star Trek, uh, and they were, they were theater people and they were like, you know, there's not a ton of stuff they're doing that's different than a stage production of that episode would be doing. Uh, there's like the in-camera effects, but like it was a pretty, you know, low-budget, uh, bare-bones show. Oh yeah, they uh, shook the camera when there was photon yeah. torpedoes. I mean, it was you know simple as it gets. <laughs> yeah, and like a lot of work is done by costumes and you know sort of again like dramatic dialogue, uh, soliloquies, all that stuff. Um, and so they were like, not every episode, like, it wouldn't work for every episode, but some of the best ones are essentially, you know, stage plays with, you know, transporter effects periodically. And so we, they, they you know, got some friends together, they did a very sort of stripped down, um, I can't remember which the first one they did, um, I think it was a muck time, uh-huh. but they, you know, with the, you know, with the, the spear fighting and the, the dramatic music, um, and they had the captain's chair, and uh, a door frame, right. and then somebody would make the sound of the door opening when somebody walked through the door, um, and that was about it. And they, uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Oh man, yeah. So did you? Did you? I mean, so how did you participate in this? Um, I was the first year. I was uh, a couple of different guards who got uh, killed and dispatched. <laughs> a red shirt, classic red shirt. Uh, yeah, a red shirt in uh, mirror mirror. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of fun. Um, we had um, our because our, uh, you have to switch costumes very quickly. So there were a couple of very. I think by that point they had gotten pretty sophisticated, but they, we had magnetic um, sort of combat things 
they weren't combatters back then, but they we had magnetic insignia so that when we went to the mirror universe, you just flip it around and now it's the <laughs> right. Terran uh, alliance or whatever. Um, yeah, uh, uh, so I did that the the first year I did it, um, and then I think I was helmsman Hadley. I was like it was sort of a lot of incidental parts. Um, but I was, I was, I was Arn Darvin in the Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, nice, nice. It was the, the last, the fifth year of the five year mission. It was a big show. We had a lot of Tribbles. Um, <laughs> yeah, we kind of went out with a bang. So did you, for each season, did you do different episodes or did you do repeat performances? <laughs> Uh, yes, we, it was one episode every, every summer. Oh, uh, wow. It would have been beyond our capabilities to do like a weekly. Right, right, uh, right, 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 right. So uh, yes, you and it was, a, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, go on. Sorry, uh, no, no, you go. No, 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 well, it's just, you know, you were gonna say uh, something about how it was received. Oh, um, uh, oh, I was gonna say, yeah, oh, there was a lot of rehearsal as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very well received. People, it was free also, I think, which helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, we got uh, a lot of positive news coverage. A lot of people sort of uh, plan their summers around it. Just you know, we're gonna get there early. Uh, we're gonna go on this day or that day. Um, and as somebody who went the first two years as a, again as a fan, like uh, it was amazing to see a bunch of people sort of come together in a shared love of something nerdy. Mm-hmm. Um, in a very sort of positive and wholesome way. Right, right. Well, I know for Paul and Anina being involved in it was incredible. I mean, you know they couldn't stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah. But I can see why. I mean, you know, there's something like being on stage like that. I mean, it's quite immediate and, you know, gives you a thrill like nothing else does, to be honest. So. Also being in the costumes yeah. uh, and being around a lot of people who are also in the costumes. I, it's it, And I, as somebody who never really did a lot of cosplay, that you sort of, like, oh, I see why you do that a little bit. Like you get that, like same sort of, I don't know if it's the same, but you get that sort of thrill of like, I'm not really in it, but I'm kind of in it. Like I'm kind of in the show, like by doing this. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, it's funny because I'm actually being interviewed by Anina later tonight about something completely different. And, uh, so uh, the Portland mafia is everywhere. Um, well, very cool. Well, you know, Ben, you mentioned um, that your main gig is as a as a you know a writer for the Portland Mercury, and as we speak here, uh, I mean, yesterday was a pretty horrible day for online media. There was layoffs everywhere, and you know, uh, I mean, that's pretty much all of us in the journal business talk about these days. Um, it sounds like you've diversified your portfolio a little bit, but. Um, I mean, <laughs> is this a profession that you feel you can make a go of anymore? Or um, people ask that question a lot, um, and I feel like uh, in this, uh, in these times, I think if you want to do anything creative, uh, it's it's a crapshoot. I think it's always going to be a crapshoot. And also, if you're not doing anything creative, you know, uh, Amazon could buy your company and lay right. everybody off, regardless of the field you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes my parents very happy to hear that, um, but I feel like if you enjoy doing it and you know, and you don't want to give up on doing you know, on writing, basically, I feel like there's kind of you know, there's no sort of port in a storm that's not going to have some level of you know anxiety in the middle of the night, right? Um, which is, and I and I think it's. Obviously, uh, I wish things were different. And I also wish that there were, uh, like you said, I've diversified a bit. Um, I do wish that there were more sort of like, uh, 
uh, things people could do to diversify and still feel like they were pursuing a creative um, profession. Um, and I think a lot of people look at journalism as like barely that. Like, oh, well, you're just writing, but like you're just writing about country fairs or, you know, bad movies. Right. Um, you're not like, you know, a, a novelist up in your garret. Um, but I feel like, you know, it's it's good to get out in the world and it's good to practice different types of writing. And I think, you know, uh, every level of writing is important to somebody. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's still, um, obviously, a lot of things that traditional journalism does. I mean, aided and abetted by social media that um, that social media can't do. And, uh, or crowdsourcing it. You know, I mean, a perfect example would be the Brian Singer story that just came out earlier this week. You know, I mean, these guys worked on it for a year. They had to, they spent a year researching this and double checking it and fact checking it. And, you know, I like, like you could come out on Twitter and say Brian Singer's a pervert, which is something that allegedly, uh, people have been saying for 20 years, actually, you know, but it wasn't until people sat down and really did the math and did the work you know, that you could kind of point to it. So, yeah. I, oh, yeah. There was a um, uh, a literary convention in Portland called Wordstock. Um, speaking of conventions, I guess. Uh, and I saw a panel from some guys from GQ, and they were talking about how to do a story on Afghanistan, you know, it costs like uh, thousands, thousands, if not, you know, tens, tens of thousands of dollars to do a, an investigative journalism story in the Middle East, like there's pl- there's flights, there's bribes, there's you know there's hotel, there's bodyguards, there's all this stuff right. to get some people on the ground in the Middle East to tell you what's going on there. And the people who advertise on GQ, like fancy uh, fancy you know wristwatch guys, they don't really like advertising next to stories about humanitarian crises. They like <laughs> advertising next to stories about George Clooney. Yes, and yes. It's a huge challenge of if you want that stuff. And if you want the stuff you can point to on social media of saying, like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening, then, you know, somebody's got to pay for it. Right. And should it be, you know, you and me? Should it be ad, you know, should it be, you know, watch companies? Uh, that, I think, nobody knows. Yeah. I do feel like there. Are, it is an interesting aspect of the times we live in. And I guess to bring it back to the comic a little bit is that the the – People and the people are still there. The money is still there. The the desire for content is still there. But there are also a lot of sort of intermediaries uh, now who sort of also feel entitled to sort of either a tell you how your content should be presented or how how you you should be um, how you should be consuming content. Right. So you know Facebook or, or Twitter or Google, they are all intermediaries who benefit from having content in the world, but they also sort of like to play favorites or could play favorites about who consumes what and how. Right, right, exactly. And also they would like a lot of the money that is being spent on, you know, uh, on content. Well, I will say that, um, you know, having been at this game for quite a long time and, uh, you know, having been around at the, well, I don't say the dawn, but certainly in the early years of online journalism, uh, when you were breaking all the rules, it was so much fun. And, you know, I foresaw all the same gate, you know, all the gatekeepers have come back only in even more onerous form sometimes, it seems. You know, like, uh, you know, try to get someone at Twitter or Facebook to, a real human, to respond to one of your issues. It is impossible. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's, and I, you know, the, 
the frontier, uh, the frontier stops being the frontier at some point. Right. Um, right. And I think that, again, I guess about the comic is something we really wanted to try to capture was, you know, in the early days, this was just a goofy TV show. But as sort of money poured into it and, you know, sort of a lot of eyeballs poured on, you know, a lot of people uh, be, be, feel entitled to that sort of narrative, that story, that universe. Um, and, and sometimes that can be a harmonious, you know, sort of uh, uh, influx. But sometimes it become, become very sort of fractious or people can right. feel very threatened. Right, right, uh, right. That you're doing it wrong. Well, it's funny because just this past i i've just noticed over the last little while but specifically this week on twitter there was actually some um i want to say pushback evolution you know like a lot of comics creators specifically are announcing that they're leaving twitter and um because and you know when it started out i mean comics creators are fairly low on the on the celebrity totem pole, something which you mentioned in the long con, actually, which is actually a, oh, yeah. a plot point in a lot of ways. Um, I, 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 you know, I'll, I'm going to miss my point here, but uh, I love the way you have the different societies that evolve in, in the, you know, of the convention. But um, anyway, yes, I mean, c- c- comics folk were so uh, approachable, and then Twitter became even more approachable, but now it's become way too, you know, way too invasive and way too negative and way too, uh, just way, way too tumultuous for a lot of people. And, um, you know, I don't think there's too many of us who don't wake up some mornings. You know, I, that's the first thing I do. I, morning I look at Twitter and then I wish I could not do that, <laughs> but it's my job. So. Yeah. And I definitely feel a certain amount of, uh, you know, sort of survivor's guilt that, um, well, that, that Twitter has been very good for me personally mm-hmm. uh, in meeting people and, and sort of uh, professionally and, and personally. Um, however, I do I do um, I don't have enough followers that it's like ruined my life yet. Right. And I do feel like it is a very weird game where it's like I would love to have you know like a hundred thousand followers, but I also couldn't use the platform at that point. Right. Maybe I would just. You would just, I would need a personal assistant to right. do it for me. Yeah, maybe you would I could not like, deal with that much, like, sort of psychic backlash at any given time. Yeah, maybe you wouldn't like 100,000 followers. Um, yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure. And, you know, you shouldn't feel survivor's guilt, I don't think. I mean, you know, even Twitter, when it began, which is a decade ago, I mean, in the beginning, it really was an amazing way. Just like any new platform. I remember when email started, I tell this story so much, but, you know, when everybody first got their first you know, CompuServe email or their ICQ or whatever, and you'd be talking to someone in real life, that wonderful thing that we barely do anymore, and you'd say, oh, you have email. Oh, I'll email you. It's like, oh, you have a phone. I'll phone you. You know, it was like this novelty to be able to do it. Same thing with Twitter. And, you know, it's, I guess... Um, you know, if you have a good brand on Twitter that's helped you out, I mean, more power to you, you know? I mean, what's your secret? Uh, well, I, and I uh, couldn't tell you, honestly. I think it's, it's, um, and uh, well, I think it's an interesting phenomenon where you think like, oh, this, this tweet is going to kill. I think this is going to be very funny. I really like, I've got all the parts for this joke. <laughs> I think it's, you know, you're really like patting yourself on the back. Right. And it gets like three likes. Right. And then you're like, oh, look at this. Somebody dropped a burrito on the sidewalk. All right. And that's, you're on the news the next week. That's um, <laughs> so true. But I do think, and it, yeah, but I think that's also the 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 gamification of social media, the 
that you get that dopamine rush when you get when you do it right um, is sort of a it's like oh this is great but then you look you take a step back and you're like it's kind of unhealthy when people do this with like gambling or you know other sort of like habits mm-hmm. um, yeah that's right yeah I mean uh, I I, yeah, I, I, I'm actually looking at your Twitter thread right now, and I noticed that you, as I did, retweeted um, uh, Jay Edidin had an awesome thread yesterday. Oh, yeah. That was about, uh, hey, Twitter, let's talk about appropriate ways to talk to artists about their work, and also where to complain productively when you find aspects of that work unacceptable, and which is a really great thread, which I'm going to feature on the beat. I'm going to write something up about it as soon as I get off this, this podcast, uh, because Jay is super... Um, responsible person uh, about so many different things and to hear that you know has been instrumental in a lot of actions that took place on Twitter and to hear them talk about uh, you know what it's not always alright to just vent at people on Twitter just because they're more famous than you are is I think that's a really great step <laughs> uh, yeah well and again speaking of like getting an education in comics uh, I think if you follow Jay and like Respectfully, um, and and just and and you know you don't have to interact. You just mm-hmm. have to like uh, keep an eye on their on their Twitter, and uh, they will give you an education in sort of respectful um, interactions with creators. A good you know sort of uh, sort of do's and don'ts. They've been in the industry for a million years um, on you know in various different capacities, and it's very good you know as a you know as a fan and as a creator. Um, yeah, it's a very good perspective to. Uh, to have, we actually do. Ha- Jay has a cameo uh, in the long con uh-huh. as uh, as one of the obnoxious fans in uh, <laughs> uh, in issue five, which well, was, I would say, a loving in joke. Yeah, well, there's a lot of little uh, cameos in there, actually, uh, little Easter eggs for people who are into the industry. You will get definitely get some, um, you know, inside jokes if you uh, pay very close attention. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. so what? Philosophy with Easter eggs. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh no, go on. Uh, our philosophy with Easter eggs is that they uh, they don't detract from the pacing. So if you get you get the Easter egg, great, it's a little like a bonus for you, but you don't have to sit, stop, and like check right. Wikipedia. Like, <laughs> who is that? What are they talking about? Right. <laughs> so, um, all right. So uh, the long con is ongoing. What's the next issue that's coming out? Uh, issue six, which oh. is uh, well, I think the trade is going to come out uh, in. Uh, the trade, uh, February 12th is when right. the first trade comes out. Um, and then I believe a month after that, uh, issue six, which features, uh, we've got a new colorist, uh, Fred Streising, I want to say is his last name, um, who's amazing, uh, who really, really knocked it out of the park. Um, and the, uh, yeah, the, the second arc of the book, uh, is a lot of fun because we sort of, we've introduced the world in the first half and then the second half, we can really sort of get into the logical, uh, 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 extremes of all of these different characters and worlds sort of clashing together. Awesome. Well, uh, uh, like I said, the first five issues, which comprise the first volume on sale in February, uh, order now at your local comic shop, um, is, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of, it's a little bit like the Poseidon adventure because they're going through the halls. They're, they're exploring, entering the different halls of, of the con, you know, hall A, hall B, hall C. And each hall has its own culture, its own, uh, you know, guard system, uh, and dangers and friends. 
And yeah, we wanted it to feel a little bit like a sort of a monster of the week kind of thing, where there or like every every issue they're sort of going to a new strange aspect of of nerd uh, culture. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a very entertaining concept, and uh, you know, you guys really did a great job on bringing it to life. So, um, so yeah, so check that out. Um, well, Ben, uh, I think our our time's about up here, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us here at More to Come. Oh, thank you so much. All right, and as you always, there will be more to come. <laughs>